When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here are your fake Canadian health cards. Take them to any pharmacy and you'll get enough drugs to make Regina look like Saskatoon. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one, Johnny. Thanks a million, Johnny. In appreciation, I'd like to give you this DVD player. What the heck? Where do you pour the syrup? How far is it uh, from Winnipeg to Portage La Prairie? Oh, she's about, she's about 150 clicks, bud. Or you might say, she's like... Six beer. Well, we thought that you said that the key to life is a, a penis in your asshole. Sacre bleu, no! You Americans think everyone wants to fuck you? No one wants to fuck you! Merde! Here is your party papers. I thought Canadians were nice. What the fuck is wrong with you guys? Both of you, you're fucking from another planet. I can't believe we live in the same country. Oh! the fucking phone's ringing during hockey night in Canada. Who's during hockey night in Canada? Who the fuck even has a hard line anymore? Watch out, rip the fucking phone out of the hole! What's next? You're gonna have someone deliver a pizza during the fucking overtime? Oh! You're listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast. In this episode, we talk about all sorts of different things as we head north, eh? Welcome to Cobras and Fire. My name is Baco, and I am joined, as always, with my favorite Wiccan, Elsie. How are you this morning, Elsie? Uh, I'm doing well, uh, so I wasn't expecting that. Uh, happy 21st day of meteorological summer. Ooh, or as the like Wiccans it. call it, solstice. And as I call it, Father's Day. Yeah, this year. Okay, all right. Interesting. I'm sorry, but every See? year, the 21st is... Uh, the solstice so go fuck yourself loose well we have a special guest with us today uh the the lothario of pickering ontario and the host of the tramps like us podcast lee mccormick welcome to the program hey hey fellas how's it going thanks for having me good to be here oh well happy to have you how was the ontario squish treating you <laughs> it's all good, man. It's uh, it's beautiful up here. Uh, but I gotta say, man, it's uh, you know with this whole uh, way the world is and everybody locked down and stuck inside. It's uh, 
you know, it's been a weird three or four months in that department for me, you know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't complain. I can't complain, you know. You went kind of, you, you had a little bit of a fashion change during all that, as most of us did, but you, yeah, you kind of went, went for that handlebar mustache look. Uh, is, is that something we can kind of look for, maybe a, a change in the Lee McCormick? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a, a regular winter occurrence for me. Like, I like to get my, uh, let my hair get a little shaggy, grow a beard for the winter, and then I, I kind of always like to, you know, shave it off and go nice clean cut for the spring. And it's kind of just a, a ritual thing I've been doing the last, I don't know, even know, like 10 years is because I like that like clean cut shaven look for the spring. But, uh, you know, during this whole COVID thing, I was just, oh, obviously there's no barbers and stuff like that. So I just figured I'd let the beard grow, let the hair grow. So, uh, yeah, I did. I did shave the face, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of digging the, the long shaggy hair. I haven't had my hair this long in so long. So I might uh, have some fun with this for a while, you know. <laughs> Well, how are uh, where's Canada at with uh, reopening and stuff? Is anything started there? Or everybody's still in lockdown. Yeah, well, it's like my from my world, like my job. I'm still not back at work. I'm still at home, working from home in quotations mark kind of thing, you know. But uh, you know, some of the stores are opening up. Uh, you know, hardware stores, grocery stores, uh, some of the restaurants, like a lot of the malls and stuff aren't opening. But uh, you know, if you go out on the streets, if you go out on the highways, you wouldn't notice anything. I mean, there's there's a lot of traffic these days. I was downtown Toronto uh, maybe a week ago, and the the streets are just packed. So I don't know, man. It's either people are people I think are just fed up, and they just they don't care anymore, and it's summertime, and so I I, I don't know. I'm somewhere in the middle of that. I'm still not ready to go socialize and party with people, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's what are you gonna do, right? You, you gotta you gotta work. You gotta. <laughs> kind of live a little bit. Yeah, I, I just want to let you know that I, I, I hope that you enjoy really bad Canada jokes because that's pretty much all, all we have today. <laughs> what are you yeah, talking about? I have yeah. great Canada jokes. Oh, you do? <laughs> Mine okay. are awesome. Right. Uh, first off, I just want to say thanks to, to Lee, the fact that we are able, we, we have very, we're very challenged in time zones, but the fact that this is crossing into another country on this call too is quite an accomplishment for this podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's international, really- man. <laughs> it is. Although, Luce, maybe I need to explain to you how time zones work. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, it doesn't well, go I'm north here. and south. It, uh... <laughs> All right. <laughs> but we, did, we are, hey, we are hitting three time zones, though. We, East yeah, Central and Mountain. Nice. Well, Lee, of course, we've become friends meeting you at the uh, Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville every year, except for this summer because of the whole thing you're just talking about. Yeah. Uh, you have a podcast of your own that I mentioned at the beginning, The Tramps Like Us. What's the latest on uh, with that? Yeah, Tramps Like Us, the Bruce Springsteen podcast. I've been doing this for about four or five years now, and it's, like the title says, it's a Springsteen podcast. And, you know, it's been great doing this the last four or five years and being part of this podcast community, guesting on other people's shows like I'm doing right now and having other of my podcast friends on my show and, you know, talking about Springsteen. And, you know, I've been doing sidecasts lately as well, where it's called Rockin' and Rollin' and Whatnot, where I discuss kind of non-Springsteen-related rock and roll-themed shows uh, that kind of thing, you know. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, putting these podcasts together. We're just in a big month. June was uh, Born in the USA month, uh, you know, on the show. So we did four episodes, uh, you know, detailing that record. So uh, yeah, lots of fun with the podcast. I, I do have to say that that your and I, uh, when I met you the first Rock and Pod was it, it, your your show is once again one of those things that makes me dip my toe into the Bruce Springsteen catalog. Because um, yeah. I've never been, I've never been fully convinced, but I have listened to, but but to your to your credit too, I've listened to many episodes on albums 
much like our Grunge series, of things that, that I I don't particularly listen to that much, but enjoy the, the banter, too. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Well, that's the thing about podcasts, right? you got to like the host more than the topic, I think. Agreed. Thing, you know? <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, when I decided to pick, do a podcast, I was looking for a way in because I was a listener before I was a podcaster myself, like I think most of us are. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was looking for a way in there, and I thought there was, a, you know, a void of a Springsteen podcast. I know he's he's one of my favorite artists. I know he's got a such a vast career and different little uh you know, detours and parts of his, his career that we can discuss and talk about. And I know he's got such a vast, uh, hardcore fan base that would eat this thing up, right? So that's kind of just where I decided to do the Springsteen thing. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. Like, I just, you know, and I think, I hope my my enthusiasm and my passion for music just comes across. And I think that's what uh, some people can dig when they're, you know, listening to me talk about you know, a Springsteen record they might not even, you know, really enjoy. But I hope some of the passion I have for that uh, comes through, you know. You did convince me on this one time that, that I had to I had to pick $100 worth of albums for this uh, Craigslist vinyl, um, like a, a deal that I, that I found where I went to go to go to this, this random dude's basement. But I right. was convinced from your show to get that live, uh, you know, five-disc monstrosity oh, okay, back in cool. the 80s. And that really... Uh, let me discover a lot of deeper tracks that I did was not aware of that I really dig. But um, cool, man. Yeah, I'm a hope, I hope you dug that. And I think if people are wanting to go into Springsteen and kind of dip their toe in the Springsteen uh, bathtub kind of thing, you know, uh, I think the live place is, is where to go with him because he's probably one of the greatest live entertainers I think ever in, in rock and roll. So yeah, definitely uh, check out some Springsteen live if you're only familiar with kind of his album uh, studio work. Yeah, to that to that end, I was such a novice in, in the Bruce world that I didn't even know that the line of your you know the name of your podcast was from Born to Run. <laughs> from the wow. song, yeah. <laughs> no joke. Oh man. Well, when you heard that song and you heard that line, you're like, oh, oh there of it course, is. that's <laughs> right. Of course. Like, yeah. It all comes up. It, it all comes together. And how yeah. dare you show up at, at, a, at, a, at a podcast convention that was ninety percent kiss. kiss uh, <laughs> But anyway, Lee, you're also a musician of some note. Uh, you, yes. you have a new product to, to pump here. Let's uh, let's hear about it. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I've been a musician, I guess, you know, since I was 10 or 12 years old. I went to college uh, for music and studied there. And I guess I've been a sort of a semi-professional music the last 20, 25 years. I've played with so many different bands. I've done a lot of studio work. Uh, you know, I started my own band in the late 90s, writing my own music and you know, making CDs and doing gigs and stuff like that. And it's kind of slowed down over the last 10, 15 years. You know, I had to kind of switch careers and focus on making some money rather than, you know, following my dreams that weren't kind of being realized. But, uh, you know, I'm still able to, you know, I teach music and I've still always written songs and consider myself a musician playing gigs and putting little things out here and there. And, you know, recently I, I did a recording session down in Memphis, Tennessee, which was after one of the last Rockin' mm-hmm. Pods that we were in Nashville. And I recorded two of my songs at the legendary Sun Studio in Memphis, Tennessee, which was such a big thrill for me. I love all that Sun Records stuff. That studio just means so much to me. All the artists, uh, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Howlin' Wolf, B.B. King, Roy Orbs, and all these guys that made their start there in, at Sun Records. And, and I recorded two of my songs there, and it was uh, amazing. And I've put these two songs out on a vinyl uh, seven-inch record, which is, is cool and, you know, kind of appropriate. Two songs recorded at Sun Studio and put it out on this vinyl record. So, uh, yeah, the song's called Train to Heartbreak. I, I hope everyone will, 
will uh, you know have a listen. You can there's a video on YouTube for it of us recording that at some studio, which is really cool. Train to Heartbreak by Lee McCormick. Uh, you know it's re- it's available on Apple. Uh, you can download it there, listen to it for a buck ninety eight. You can stream it on Spotify. And if you want to check out the vinyl, I think that's the way to hear it. Uh, that's the way to uh, you know check out this song. You can uh, contact me at moonviolet.com and uh, send me a message, and we'll hook you up with a, a vinyl record there. I'm very proud of this, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to share it with the uh, the podcasting world and elsewhere. You know, <laughs> I was surprised that Sun Studios was still like an active studio. I assumed at this point it just kind of become yeah. almost like Graceland. So when I saw that you were recording there, why don't you explain how that even like lined up? Did you just book this studio time way in advance and sort of? I mean, like I've been there so many times, like maybe I can't even count fifteen times, maybe as a tourist, Damn. right? And it's they've it's been a, a touring sp- spot for about thirty. 30 years now, since the, the 80s maybe, but it's always been a functioning studio, right? So they have tours in the day and they record at night, right? So the, the main studio is the, is the room where kind of the band would set up and sing, and, and that room has not been touched, right? That room is, is, is very authentic and vintage and just the same way it was in the 50s. But then there's a control room, a small little control room, and that was kind of gutted. They put in some kind of updated recording gear. Uh, U2 famously recorded there in, in mid-80s for Rattle and Hum, Right, they did. They did a record called Class of '55 with uh, you know Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lewis, and Roy Orbison that went back to Sun in the uh, late '80s to record again. You know, so they've always kind of had it open at nights for uh, for recording purposes. And a, a few last of the, couple of the few times uh, going through the Sun Studio, I spoke with some of the people that worked there and kind of got friendly with the engineers. And they were kind of like, yeah, you got to come down and record a song here, man. And I kind of knew that happened, but I just figured I, I couldn't afford it or it was kind of beyond my means. And they were kind of saying, ah, we'll give you a deal, man. We'll have fun kind of thing, right? So mm-hmm. so the, I, being friendly with the engineers paid off and they hooked it up and uh, we made the plan to uh, you know record there like the night after the Rockin' Pod last year. And, uh, you know, we spent about seven, eight hours in the in the studio, and it's just such a, a thrill, you know, playing drums, playing guitar, singing, you know, drinking beers, and like it's just, you know, having the run, the, the usage of the entire studio for, for an evening. And I, I, I think I was really able to capture something special on these two songs. It kind of does have that, that, that Sun Records kind of rockabilly sound to it, you know? Now, is, are both songs on the 7-inch? Yep. Train to Heartbreak is the A side and the B side is called Every Night's a Saturday Night. Both recorded at Sun Records uh, that night in Memphis. Now, here, here's my question on that. So I listened to Train to Heartbreak yesterday, <laughs> and it's <laughs> a tough one. I know it, it, it really is. But the, the, there's a lot of heartbreak in trains. You know what I mean? It, uh, it, it, as, as far as song titles. But, the, but my question is: so this is if you're in the studio and you've had you've given granted this access to this legendary you know a place to record yeah. do they do you what is your time limit because you do you're doing the you're doing everything right you're recording everything separate yeah and i mean i brought a bass player down with me because i needed a guy okay. to play that upright rockabilly bass right and I, I can't play that but but yeah but i could play everything else so i made sure that i knew all the parts i had it all rehearsed in my head i knew what the drum part was going to be i knew what the uh, acoustic guitar was going to be, I knew the lead guitar, I knew the solo, I knew the vocals, all that kind of thing, right? So I knew when I went in there, and I brought down, like, scratch tracks, right? So a scratch track would be me, like, playing guitar and singing the song along to a metronome in my headphones, so that's what I would play along to. So I put that in my headphones, play a drum track along to that, right? And then we would just kind of layer on top of that. 
And like like I said, that's two. They do tours till like five thirty at night. We got right. there at like six six thirty, and we only had till like two two a.m. So we only had like you know seven six seven hours. And once you when doing setup and all that stuff, it really kind of limits it too. So you're down yeah. to like four or five hours of work, right? So you kind of got to have your shit together. You can't fuck up and be like, oh, I just can't get the guitar part tonight because you're screwed. You got to put something down, right? So. You know, fortunately, I was able to uh, deliver and <laughs> lay down all the parts, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just such a fun night. It worked out well. I was able to, you know, go home with some of these great tracks, had that great sun sound. The way they recorded it was, you know, the, ra- the way that Sam Phillips would do in the 50s. They put, like, this slap echo effect on my voice and everything. So it was so great. So I was able to take those files back to Toronto and then mix it with my buddy at his studio. And we kind of went for a sun record sound, like we would listen to sun... Uh, uh, singles and songs and try to match the sound to ours and, and mix them and we did it in mono and uh, yeah it was just uh, great turned out really well I'm uh, very proud of it and I hope uh, people will check it out
you know, we were talking about my song being recorded there at Sun Records, Sun Studios, and I just kind of wanted to mention maybe maybe some legendary recording studios over the last kind of 50 years of rock and roll. Like I said, Sun Studios is probably my favorite. Such a thrill to record there. And probably the number with the birthplace of rock and roll is what they call it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many great studios. Uh, you got Chess Records in Chicago, where like a lot of the blues and uh, Chuck Berry kind of came from. You have, you have Stax as well, Stax in Memphis. Is kind of the other side of the tracks of Sun Studios, where Sun was like rockabilly, had Stax, which was like soul music in Memphis. Uh, we're talking more soul music. You have Muscle Shoals in Alabama. You have uh, Motown up in Detroit, Hitsville, USA, right? So, you know, just so many studios were able to just ha- capture a sound. And all these artists that came out of that su- studio had kind of a similar sound, right? Uh, so I just, I just love that stuff. I love the historical nature of being in these places where this great art, this great music was created, right? So, you know, one day I kind of want to put a, a, like a, a list together, a road trip, and maybe try and hit some of these tours and museums, you know, all over the, all over the, the continent at least. You know, Capitol, Capitol Records in Los Angeles, all, the, all those legendary places, you know? I was going to ask you that. Uh, you, know, you said you've been to Sun Studios at least you know, a dozen or more times. Have you, yeah. have you had a chance to check any of these other ones out? Not really. Like I've been to Stax, obviously. Stax is close to Memphis, but uh, the other ones I haven't. My, I have a buddy that went to Motown, Hitsville, USA. That's actually just a house, right? Like it's a house in a, in a, a neighborhood <laughs> a in Detroit. Yeah, a house. The house. <laughs> <laughs> and they, uh, they just kind of turned this house into a recording studio. <laughs> talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that was finally. It's like. Well, it's how do like you say get... house? That's how you say. What do you, how you say? House. House. They, they have this house. house. They have what's this your, house. What's your favorite uh, doctor TV drama of all time? House. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think we should just have a little bell that goes off when it, when he goes pure Canada. Okay, ding. Yeah, so, so like, yeah, they got these houses in like Detroit, eh? And they recorded all these good <laughs> tunes there, and it was is beauty, it. T- beauty uh, way to go. Yeah, yeah. So see, this but, is what now I you're expected. a little more this northern is... Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I've only I've only been to Sun and Stacks. I'd love to go to Motown. I'd love to go to uh, Capital, Muscle Shoals, uh, Electric Lady in New York. Yeah, Obviously, you you go. Abbey, Abbey Road in England, right? Yeah, you've literally yeah. the only one I have written down that you haven't hit on is Sound City, and uh, I think it's in, that's in, it might be Los Angeles or Burbank or somewhere in that area, but. Yeah, that's Los Angeles. They had that great, uh, that great Neve board, right? They did that documentary. Yeah, it's uh, all gone though, isn't it? Houston? I suppose there's nothing to visit. Yeah, I think uh, what's his face uh, t- stole the board and uh, uh, moved it into his ha- his home, his his house. Oh, see, <laughs> see now we got him self conscious. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's it, it's interesting because that that subject right there, I was like, you know, if you quiz me on producers and engineers and all this minutia that I looked at liner notes, I could I could probably peg if you quiz me, you know artists overall that I love and knowing that. But if you asked me what recording studio they were in, yeah. I probably wouldn't know that. Like 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 Abbey Road, obviously, you know, and now they're even let, letting uh, you know, scumbags like Tesla record live albums there um, mm-hmm. last year. I mean, they're they're slumming now. But the uh, the the point being is that I don't really have much to say about it as far as the actual <laughs> as far as the actual location. It is interesting though. I mean like to know all the history there, but uh. I mean, certain times it doesn't matter, right? Certain records would be like, ah, this was recorded there. It doesn't sound anything like what was recorded there before. But some kinda, of the kind of like studios- when Britney Spears plays uh, Red Rocks, it's really not a monumental moment. Yeah, exactly that kind of stuff, right? But uh, but some of these studios do have a vibe there, and there's a reason why, like artists 
like you two wanted to go record a track at Sun, right? Yeah. Or like why the Rolling Stones wanted to come into Muscle Shoals and record a couple of tracks, right? They just want to kind of get a vibe of the city and the people and the people that work at the studio. It's all part of the, the process, you know? I think Muscle, Shoal, Mu- Muscle, <laughs> Muscle Shoals has probably name. the most distinct, like, you know, consistent sound of the artists that work there. It is weird. The way it comes out. Now, a lot of the stuff that was recorded there early on, they used kind of like the same house musicians, but yeah. um, so that That's had a, a lot to do with it. it. Same with them. Yeah, same with the Motown stuff, the stack stuff. Oh, absolutely. You're getting, a, you're getting a, the house band and the house producers, so you're getting a, a sound when you go there, right? All the Sun stuff. But Where did uh, the wrecking crew work out of? Do they mainly focus on one <laughs> studio? That was, uh, that was LA. That was Los Angeles, Hollywood, and the Capitol building. You know, that okay. round. So uh, that, they, they, did, they largely worked out of there, right? For sure, yeah. That was like their well, like in California, that that was the thing. The Wrecking Crew, they there was such a big crew of studio musicians because there were so many recordings going on in that city, right? So there's there's probably about five or six studios all being worked in like every day, twenty four hours a day, and they were just going kind of go back and forth to sessions. But Capitol is kind of the big one, you know. Sinatra recorded there, all the, the Beach Boys, all that shit was done in the that round Capitol building. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about like some smaller ones? I know locally. There's a um, a studio here in the just outside of the Twin Cities called Pachyderm, which, you know, like Nirvana recorded there early on. That kind of gave them a little bit of notoriety. Is there anything kind of off the beaten path that I uh, like that 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 you're kind of a, a fan of? Uh, I'm not sure. Not really. Nothing that has a, a, like a name that I could mention, right? Like I know, that, like up in here in Canada, uh, Toronto area, there's all little recording studios that I know of and oh this was done here and this was done there nothing really special to say about it most of the times with studios like that it's they'll have one record that'll kind of come from that studio and that'll put the studio on the map a little bit of a thing Mm -hmm. right but yeah uh, nothing really where you can buy a t-shirt that would have a a cool gift shop or something like that you know (laughs) I've been to chess I've been to chess twice in Chicago that one was really cool yeah so that was uh like Leonard and Phil chess in the 50s they did all like the Chicago blues and Chuck Berry and Etta James all that stuff yeah I would suspect that if I would go to these places it's all as the same thing as like uh you know you go see things like the the tonight show or whatever like that they're much smaller than you expect like when i've seen these places oh, or yeah. or or they're like when i went to the whiskey i was uh, uh uh i was expecting something different it's just a just a fucking 200 you know you know what i mean like you have this image yeah. in your mind of what what you know what about paisley parkley you ever thought about going there i toured that Ooh. this last uh well, i don't know end of february yeah, is it cool? I've seen little things from the tour. I know Craig Smith did that as well. And I don't know, man. I guess it's cool. Next time I'm in Minnesota, which isn't very often, right? It's not really on the it's not really on the way to anything. So you almost got to make a point to get there, right? <laughs> yeah, no. I, um, I was surprised at how many people, you know, how far people traveled. You know, there was people from uh, yeah. Amsterdam in, in my group and and uh, Atlanta. But uh, yeah, it, it is really cool. Um, but it's also. Uh, I don't know, from a recording aspect, it's very slick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, like where you, your Muscle Shoals or even Sun Studios, you know, it's still got, it's almost dusty and old. Uh, it's kind of got, a, I don't know if I'm describing that right, but this is very modern, at least for the time. They've kind of stopped doing anything with it since his death, but, you know, that wasn't that long ago. Um, right. But, you know, and it was built just for this. So it's a brand new building and, and all that stuff, where it doesn't really have the history and the lineage and all that stuff. It's also fucking just out there it's basically on the edge of the 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 whole metro area here um it is really cool um craig convinced me to to do the the really expensive tour and i can't imagine i would have 
I'm glad I did is all I'm getting at. You know, it, it was like 160 yeah. bucks, but well worth it. And I would have, you know, when I, because you get to see what the $45 tour would have been, and that would have fucking sucked ass compared to it. So, but right. yeah, it doesn't have the history of, the, of those other ones, but it is kind of cool. I do think it's, you know, if, you, if you're a big Prince fan, it matters more. We went because my wife was, you know, really into Prince. And then also Craig helped sell me on it, but uh, we were going to eventually end up there. But yeah, I got to plan that as a stop on the, uh, the recording studio road trip coming soon. <laughs> right <Yeah>. on. <laughs> and that's that's one I'll, I'll I will definitely do once uh, I'm back there in uh, Minnesota. topics Lee, that, that I thought would be kind of fun to get into because I don't know that we've done a lot of talk on this on our show yet Luce is uh, live concert DVDs something I'm definitely a fan of uh, you know I, I've switched into blu-ray over the last couple years but the the whole DVD really uh, enhanced the home viewing of, of a concert you know what I mean uh, especially when it's yeah. shot well and, and, and has good audio uh, so this is a, a topic that that I could, there's tons of, of concert DVDs that I adore. Lee, why, why was this something you wanted to talk about? I've always been a concert junkie. You know, I just love bands when they play live, right? I've loved bootlegs. I've loved just seeing a band play live. And then, like you said, in, in the 90s and the 2000s, they were really putting out a lot of live concert films and DVDs and, and Blu-rays and the quality and it's just something I love just to see a band play live and just be able to have that at my fingertips, right? So, you know, I, the, the first one that kind of made me such a huge fan was the Rolling Stones' uh, Let's Spend the Night Together, that concert film that came out in 82 uh, from their Tattoo U tour. That made me want to become a drummer. I love Charlie Watts, seeing him on that. So, I mean, just seeing the band play live, like, I just really uh, I love that, right? So, you know, in the 80s, they also had that, that Chuck Berry... Uh, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll was a great, you know, concert film. Uh, you know, later years, the Ramones put out a, uh, like a two-DVD set of all these live concerts called It's Alive. Uh, that was great. I remember the, uh, the Motley Crue Carnival of Sins. 
that live DVD from their uh, mm-hmm. reunion tour there in 2005. Man, that was a that was a perfect, you know, two and a half hour concert DVD. Just shot perfectly, sounds amazing, and uh, you know, I've just always loved these live concert films. And it's kind of a shame that they're not they don't really mean as much anymore. I think because of YouTube, right? Like so, yep. People are just on YouTube, and you can just go and you can click click a you know a button, and you can see one song all pro shot on your computer. Whereas before you could, you didn't have that, right? You had to buy the DVD and then you get your live show. But uh, you know, YouTube is great for some reasons, but but for in some other instances, it's kind of ruined. You know, the kind of experience of live concert DVDs and this kind of thing. Definitely, um, there was more of a there was more of a mystique. I think is what you're saying, right? Well, you seem to, to connect to more and, to it because you had to you had to go out and get it. It's special, yeah. right? Yeah, like if I wanted to see like Motley Crue 2005, I had to go buy the the Carnival of Sins DVD. Now all I got to do is type in hit, Motley Crue Live 2005, and I get like every song cut up. I can pick and choose my songs, right? But there's something about you know watching the the movie. Like these are these are movies directed by somebody who's got a vision and he's capturing this concert, yep. right? That's why some concert films are better than others because mm-hmm. some of them are just a just the raw show some of them are like a couple of songs and then you get like some backstage stuff and then a few more songs some of them they shuffle the the set list to kind of tell a different story like you look at the uh, that kiss uh, second coming uh, thing they did right the uh, the kind of reunion tour uh, yep, documentary yep, yep. slash concert film like that was great because it was a mix yep. of like live shots and then like behind the scenes so you know stuff like that is missing I think from the uh the the music media that you get these days, unfortunately. On the YouTube thing, I posted this last night uh, uh, on my personal Facebook page, but one thing I'm seeing pop up more on YouTube that we need to fucking get a stop to right away is the word multicam to use to reference somebody who took seven different people's cell phone videos and spliced them together with one audio track. Multicam kind of implies it was pro shot. Not like, hey, right. seven people in the audience shot similarly shitty videos, and I'm taking yeah. the best audio of one of them and running it through the whole thing, and I'm going to sit at home and edit it like I'm some kind of fucking yeah. movie producer. I don't know. That pissed me off. I saw like three of them, and I'm like, all right, enough. Stop saying multicam. Yeah, I can understand that, uh, Baco, but you know, just to play the other side of that, there's a, there's a buddy of mine. Well, a buddy's a loose tomb, term, but a guy I know <laughs> over in Europe, right? And he's a bootleg Steve? guy, and he... He, it's not Steve, and he uh, and he uh, he he loves Springsteen, right? So he makes all of these Springsteen bootlegs, and he does multicam, like what you're saying. But he's taking like you know different audience shots as well as people's filming the screen. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have no problem get, with people doing it. Just don't call it yeah. multicam. It, it it throws me off. Yeah. Like, what, I, what, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Multi multi uh, multi user uh, multi user. Multi-cell. I, I just want to make it clear that, like, just so you know, when you're clicking on this, it's not pro shot. This is fucking useful. Yeah, but it doesn't say pro shot. It says uh, cam, Come right? on, man. For years, multi-camera meant that. There was All no, right. like, but, but, it, just, two years ago, there was no multi-cam footage that was just my cell phone and Luce's cell phone spliced together. Right. Stop! Stop shaking your fist for a second. Okay, so the uh, so go back to the guest. You want to finish your thought there, Lee, about your friend in Europe? Yeah, I was gonna say like <laughs> even though this guy has got multicam from audience cam phones, it looks fucking incredible because it's high def and he takes the audio from the official Springsteen release live show and he splices that. So he puts together uh, a multicam in quotation bootleg that is better than you know something that. 
the record company could put out as a as a pro shot thing, you know. So you know, there's different variants of, of quality in in multicam is what I'm saying. Like you look at bootlegs, right? Some audience shots are horrible, but then you get that one guy who's got a great camera and he's got a steady hand, and that audio audience shot is, is incredible, right? So I think there's varying degrees. Uh, when we're getting into multicam and bootleg and audience shots and pro shots and all that stuff, you know, some pro shots are awful, right? Like you watch a pro shot concert. Uh, I don't like this one. Remember that Kiss Rock the Nation? It's like an edit mm. every two, two or three oh, seconds. That, thank right? you that, for that even shit. beginning this. Oh, you yes. can't even like watch it because you're like no. you're just getting like that's, diz- that's dizzy, right? I hate that shit. MTV well, shooting kind of thing. Yeah, right, but no, I, I fucking I, hate I'm that. I'm glad too. you get. I'm glad you're getting into this too. The worst one of all time, if you just want to go the Kiss route, though, is the Kiss Symphony. That guy that edited oh. that fucking thing was paid only in cocaine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't say that's like every two seconds. But yes, that's a big aggravation. I have some more recent ones, but that trend is there was something in the '70s, '80s, maybe even the '90s where it's like, here, take a shot of the band, like. One or two members zoom out, slowly pan away where it came into this. Let's get pictures of just the guy's nostrils here and the mm-hmm. lights here. And like the, the that's the multi cam with like 30 or 40 HD cameras. It drives mm-hmm. me insane. I agree. It's very, uh, yeah, sometimes they go overboard. I agree. I, that's what I mean. It's like they're trying to shoot a music video for MTV rather than a live concert. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Like when you're watching a music that- video, that works. But when you're, like in an audience watching a live concert, you're looking at one guy at a time and you're moving your eyes back and forth. Correct. That's why I kind of I like a bootleg, sometimes a one cam audience shot because it lets me just just shoot the stage and I'll look where I want. You know, <laughs> one of the, yeah. the 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 more recent ones that that was just strikingly well shot was the Black Sabbath the End uh, Blu-ray. Oh, um, cool. I I, yeah. I it was like. You know, and it was. It seemed like for the most part, the audio was was fairly live too. They didn't seem to doctor it up too much. I don't. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just saying. It was you know? You know why I dig that Baco? I saw that one in the theater. They had one of those things where like we we're showing it in the theater for one night. Oh, only. nice! So, right. So a bunch of friends, we all went to see that. And it was fucking awesome. And I remember because the opening song is Black Sabbath, right? Yeah. And the first couple of verses, Aussie sounds awful because I don't know if he can't hear himself. Or something like that, but he's he's definitely like out of key right. with the band, and they didn't fix it. They didn't fix it for the the movie, right? And we were all like, "Yeah, they didn't fucking like overdub proper vocals. Like it's raw, it's right." So I was mm-hmm. impressed with that for sure. And I I remember when I saw that um, God, they had like a, a bit of megalomania on there in a medley, and I'm like, "Holy fuck!" And then I, it was it ended up being cool, but I'm like, "Okay, this is why it was in there because Ozzy they just play the songs without Ozzy." <laughs> But yeah. uh, still, it was just one of the most strikingly beautiful concert videos as far as that. And it was edited very well. It doesn't have that like the choppy stuff you're talking. And, and they did like throw in some certain effects or slow, like, slow motion camera at times. But it seemed to be tastefully done. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was amazing. Um, another recent one that was a, I'm a big fan is that Big Four show uh, in Sinosphere there. Ooh, that's funny because I actually just walked out of the room and grabbed my uh, like bin of, of DVDs and the I actually did you see it at the theater too? Paco? I did not know. So when it was in the theater, it was actually a live feed right. from the concert actually happening. And the big to go with that whole thing with the Sabbath is uh, Megadeth set on the Blu-ray completely re-recorded uh, Mustaine vocals. Hmm. Um, so that was that was a big striking difference. But that was a really cool experience just going to the concert, just basically sitting there and. Uh, uh, seeing all those acts play lot play literally live on that feed. So, yeah, I wasn't sure I could yeah. sit in a theater that long. 
uh, because it was here locally, and I had the opportunity to go. It was only like twenty. Bucks I didn't. Or something. I didn't. I actually uh, escaped. I was actually uh, uh, obligated to watching Toy Story three and left my family during it to, to watch a couple sets of that. Hmm, so nice. I only saw Megadeth and Anthrax. Speaking of uh, concert films in the theater, do you guys remember the Rolling Stones at the Max, the IMAX thing? Did you guys ever have a I chance did. to see that? I, I, that was when IMAX actually used to mean go to a – maybe this is the same way in Canada, but the yeah. IMAXs in, in the U.S. during the 80s were only available at, like, uh, museums. It was like Chicago – Zoos here. Okay, really? Mm-hmm. The, best, the biggest IMAX in the Twin Cities was at the Minnesota Zoo. But, but it was – okay. So, But was that for, – for Lee, for that one, was it – that IMAX also was like almost on the ceiling. You like you lean back. Oh, yeah. And you're, yeah. Is that how it was for you too? Yeah. Out here we have Ontario Place, kind of a like a provincial amusement kind of park, and there's a big thing we have called the Cinesphere, this big, huge, round dome, and it's a huge IMAX screen in there. And I remember that Rolling Stones at the Max played for maybe two years, so I seen yeah. it multiple times, and it, that was an incredibly shot concert film because it was shot in IMAX. Right with this in- the incredible film technology, right, and the sound was was phenomenal. And I've since seen it on DVD, and it it just doesn't capture it when yeah. you're seeing it in the theater. So I, that's still a special moment seeing that in the. I think that came out in early '90s, '90, '91, something. But I'll, I'll go with Baco's complaint too about it, like the whole multicam thing. When it says IMAX, when did IMAX change from this beautiful curved screen, <laughs> curved uh, ceiling thing with lean back seats to just big fucking screen? That's what that, IMAX I, is. I, I, I think that was called Omni Theater or Omnivision or something like that, hmm. where it basically encompasses your entire uh, like field of vision. Right. Yeah, I don't think that was ever IMAX. I'll have to check. My IMAX notes. to me is a slightly arced screen that they convince you you need to spend an extra five dollars to watch a movie <laughs> on. That is what it says in, in Wikipedia. <laughs> it's a weird ratio too. Like the the, the film is like yes. more square than rectangle. I think too. Yeah. Like the, they film it on a different type of camera to film on that type of film. But I'll, but I'll hit on that too. Also for uh, for you, Lee, as far as the the DVDs. I'm assuming since you're a big Stones fan, four flicks that came out in around 2000. Yep. Yeah, I got that. Where it has that one's cool because it has like the big. Uh, for those not familiar, it has the here's our stadium Stone show. Yeah. Here's our like club show and all the different sets in between within that era. Um, yeah. What a what a band. Eh? They were they did a tour where they were playing. You know, some cities they would do two shows, some cities one, but depending on the draw, some places will get like a stadium, some will get an arena, some will get a theater, and depending on where they're playing, they're altering their set list. We're going to do more deep cuts in the theater and all the hits in the stadium kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, and and every every show is is great. There's there's parts of it, it that every you can grab onto, right? So uh, that's incredible. What are some of your favorites, Luz? Um, I've got the yeah, so. To talk about the mystique part, like when I first uh, so went you're just down move the past Alice my Cooper, question there. Excuse me. Did you hear me ask you a question or not? Yes. Can I? Can, that was my lead up to my answer. Is that, that was, okay? Didn't sound anything close to like an answer. Anyway, go ahead. It was, but to go into the mystique part, the reason I have a lot of what mystique because, part? I said, what's your favorite DVD? Well, to get into the mystique of that question. Jesus Christ! <laughs> As the point is, is that's why I have a lot of Alice Cooper DVDs because that was the only thing you could do was to get VHS stuff of like Welcome to My Nightmare Tour. Do you still have to deal with Lee? This back and forth. Oh, this, uh, this, it's, my God! I've never heard I mean, of such. Sorry. Place. Let me. You, you know what? Hold on for a second. How about this you tell me how i should frame my answer 
to a way that is acceptable to your question. Well, uh, Graham, uh, let's just keep it. Uh, I would like you to say this. Is this how you talk to, to Mr. Tomei? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> But He's not my can, boy, can, though. Uh, oh, okay. Here, look, here. Ask that again. No, ask it answer, again. Like your answer was one hundred percent fine. I apologize. Nope. nope. I know you're, ha- you're You're clearly my having enough more. My favorite, uh, my favorite DVDs, Baco, <laughs> are some of the Kissology ones, according to this data here. Uh, no, there's a lot. There's a lot of ones from all. Uh, I'll just say that also cheap tricks. You want me to leave all that uh, in? Oh, please do. You got to leave all that sake. in. Yeah. Please. But also, I'll tell you that another one was uh, was uh, that got me into cheap trick was cheap trick music for hangovers, which came out in the early two thousands. Is that, that good? Kind of like a. I thought. Oh, well, I thought it was. I mean, it's not a great. It's not. A, I guess this one is a favorite, more mostly because this is when I started discovering the whole back catalog okay. of theirs. And that they started playing, and around that time is when they started playing each of their uh, first four albums in, in entirety nice. uh, at at the Metro in Chicago, you know, near their home base, um, stuff like that. Sounds um, like I'm giving the old trick a chance again. Anyway, say it again. Well, it sounds like I'll probably. I always want to get into that band more than I do. And anytime somebody has anything nice to say about something that I've kind of never really dug into, I'm like, well, maybe I should check that out. You know, I, I think that's what it was. Like, I heard, I'd never heard uh, Gotta Raise Hell before, and I was like, that's a pretty badass song. I yeah, that that, that's, well, that's a killer tune. You know what I mean? They, have like, a, they put out a, a silver DVD. It was called Silver, and I think it was, their 20, it was their 25th anniversary concert, and they did it in their hometown, Rockford, Illinois, and it's an extended set, like they played two and a half hours, and they brought like past members of the band up to play songs and stuff like that. It's a really big celebration of the entire Cheap Trick career, right? That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, like a concert one would be Prime Cuts, Alice Cooper, that kind of is a, um, I guess kind of like... The second coming in, in a way where it has, you know, it's a little mm-hmm. bit of everything from back in the day. I don't know. I have a, I have a but it, apparently I, I do like concert films too because these are one of the few things I haven't purged. Nice. Um, oh, and also random, another one that's maybe less well known is Anthrax, Music of Mass Destruction. And, uh, also because it was shot the same Chicago show that I saw and that was with the, the uh, Bush era. That's really well done. Ozzy yeah, has nice. two two concerts from the '80s that I like a lot. One with Randy Rhodes and one with Jakey e. Lee. I actually can't find the titles of them on here. I know the the Randy one was put on DVD fairly recently. I think it's on the um, uh, what's the second Ozzy record? Uh, Diary of a Madman. Diary of a Madman tour. Uh, sorry, I just brain farted that. And the Jake one is on yeah. the. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the second? <laughs> Ultimate sin. Ultimate sin tour. Thank you, Lee. Um, new, new fact, you know, bastard. Uh, yes, this is, this is impressive. It's called. This is a part of the show we call "Finish Each Other's Sentences." Yeah, <laughs> um, but I love both of those concerts. Uh, just uh, they, they capture well, probably my two favorite guitar players of Ozzy, and uh, just really good set list and, and a, a good mix of. They didn't overdo the Sabbath like they did on the on the. God, never say, God damn it. Speak of the devil. Uh, Speak of the devil. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Thank God. This guy's this guy like a, a, whatever, or phone a friend or whatever like that. To- yeah, yeah. Lifeline. I used up all my fucking her. lifelines on three Aussie concerts. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way you would have got to the next round on that game show if, you, if Lee wasn't there for you. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, uh, hey, well, you mentioned yeah, something, Lewis. Has anybody besides, uh, or Lee, have you been to any concerts that you actually own on a DVD or Blu-ray? Uh, 
a lot of bootlegs, obviously. Okay. That's one of the things I like is when I go see a show, I try and collect the uh, the bootleg of the show for a memory. Uh, I'm trying to think of an officially released show on DVD or Blu-ray that I was at. Probably not. Probably not. There's about eight seconds in that Second Coming Kiss DVD where they're in St. Paul. And so that <laughs> if that counts... <laughs> Are they playing Deuce? Because they played that every uh, uh, five minutes. I don't remember, probably. But, yeah, they, there's like a shot of the mayor giving them the key to the city and then like a shot of the, the, the show. But it's real. It's when they're kind of blasting like this city, that city, that city. You know. We're touring nonstop. Yeah. Sure. Also, the whole kiss. Uh, I guess that's part of it, too, as far as bootlegs, too. I mean, when we got probably all three of us here on the. Um, saw most of the footage, or if not all, that was on Kissology, mm-hmm. uh, right? Kind yeah. of collected yeah. it over yeah. the 80s and well, 90s. I remember my first bootleg was probably the late 80s. I used to go to these record shows all the time and buy used records. It'd be like a Sunday afternoon at like a, a, a like a veterans hall or something like that, right? Banquet hall. And I remember seeing this guy at a table of these VHS tapes, and it was all these like Kiss concerts. And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, they're live Kiss concerts. And I'm like, what? I'm like How this is this be? yeah I'm like this is a video of a live Kiss show from the 70s and he's like yeah I got like ten of them wow and right. he's like he's like what's the best one he's like he he point he gave me a Largo 79 he's like that's the pro shot one's pretty good and I'm like you telling me <laughs> this is 90 yeah I'm like yeah multicam <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you telling me this is 90 minutes of Kiss live in 1979 pro shot in color and he's like yep. He's like twenty bucks. I'm like, here you go. So I remember taking that home and just holy shit! This is the first time I'd seen '70s Kiss live yeah. in, right. on, vi- on video, right? And it just blew my mind. And then the whole bootleg world opened up from there. I was obsessed, right? Audio, uh, video. I have a pretty huge collection, and I, I just love it. Some of these great moments that would never have been captured or preserved if there weren't for a you know a guy, a hardcore fan in, in the audience with a with a recorder, you know. So uh, I love a lot of bootlegs, you know. Yeah, that was what was a lot of fun was seeing like one clip on some um, whatever those kiss things like exposed and then hunting down like Winterland that was connected. The full show, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. It was like an adventure. Yeah, but that's Kiss being dicks too. Like, put the whole thing out, man. Like, you oh have it. God. What the fuck, man? Like, you're just gonna drop four songs from this show? Like, what the hell? Why? Or, or just to go into one one more thing on that is that you have all these these shows and you finally do release them but you do nothing with with the audio like you uh where, where the when the west was won by zeppelin is this old like uh thing they put out where they cleaned up all the audio yeah. from like 1968 it sounded amazing but it was yeah. all these old footage look what they could have done with like winterland and things like that but uh it depends on where the audio the source is from there is a chance that there really isn't much they could do i mean if you don't have a a clean separated yeah. audio from the board um, you know, it might just be that they have like what like high grade VHS copies of these shows that were shot. You know, I mean, like like news agencies would have done. This is why I don't like having discussions with musicians. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me facts. I don't want any facts. I just want them to clean it up, make it perfect for me, and do it right, Baco. <laughs> I, don't I don't know care that about I'm right though. Of... They might have fucking good audio. I wouldn't put it past those fuckers to just lazily put this shit out, but. I, t- I tell you what, there, there's definitely some things they could have done to clean some of it up, though, is all I mean. I think um, so. I'm not I'm not an, an audio and videologist, but I do know <laughs> I've seen some things look better from, from other copies. I mean, they probably took shortcuts, right? They were probably just sourcing What, what was that? Fans. What? Wait, wait. Did you <laughs> say Tommy the Kiss was in charge? So. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that was here's the first your, shortcut. Yeah, here's hey. your budget. Here's your budget, right? So they're just calling up, like, Kiss fans and, like... 
can you send us your bootlegs? And they're just whatever the best quality they get from a guy, they're just going to put on the video. And I'm sure they did not very much uh, post-production on any of that stuff. They just right. find the best, you know, one they could copy. Think about that, though. Like, like uh, what was the job description for Tommy Thayer at some point where it said, like, Fluffy. for X amount per year, we'd like you to do the editing for our DVDs, you know, get our coffee, blah, 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 possibly replace our guitarist at some point. And all those things. That's called cost-cutting. Is there anybody in rock history that's in a band that's done so many different things? I think not. I don't think so. Unprecedented, Luce. It really is. But, you I know, mean, that, that's, that's because Chris, Kiss has always been groundbreakers. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's right. This is turning into a bitch about Kiss show. <laughs> <laughs> watched all these concert DVDs, Lee. Another thing you talked about was maybe concert memories. You want to get into some of your favorite shows? Yeah, it's the summer season, right? And that's a big, you know, kind of concert uh, season. And unfortunately, we're not getting any concerts this summer, which is a drag, you know. So I thought maybe let's talk about some concerts. Maybe the first one, we, our first concert, maybe our, our last concert, maybe notable one in the middle, maybe. Uh, it all started off, uh, you know, my first show was Kiss, January 13th, 83, Maple Leaf Gardens, Toronto. Uh, wow. Creatures of the Night Tour. I was eight, Yeah, I was eight years old. I was a big Kiss fan, you know, and I begged my dad, can we, I heard Kiss was coming, can we get Kiss tickets? And he delivered some tickets, right? So, uh, yeah, my first concert, Maple Leaf Gardens, in the golds, you know, seeing, you know, just going to Maple Leaf Gardens and seeing, you know, before the band came on stage seeing the the tank turret with the drums and seeing the the kiss logo without the lights lit up you know just uh <laughs> you know uh, just amazing memories and it was such a you know great concert it just sticks in my my mind forever that's that's where it all started for me man kiss in 83 and what about you Baco? what was your uh, first show uh, the first real concert had to be motley Crue girls 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 tour so that would have been i think summer of 88 uh now, I've talked about it on the show, but my dad gave me permission to go to this show without stock talking to my stepmom. And no joke, that started a fight that w- led to the eventual divorce of the two of them. So oh. Motley Crue broke up my, my, my dad's marriage. <laughs> I, I remember that story. But uh, it was... I had probably the worst seats in the house. We were way in the back. Like, there was maybe four rows behind me, straight back of the stage. They had this giant inflatable motorcycle that, like, that blew up at the end of the show. 
and then it actually tipped over and it was like kind of propped up on the I mean this thing was half the stage and and from the floor to the to the light rig so it kind of just toppled there over the cage around Tommy Lee's drum set and like 18 roadies are out there just kind of trying to push the thing back but uh uh that and it it, it was um it's an experience that we don't really get anymore because there aren't many uh, venues like the like this one. It was the Met Center in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, but where you park in the lot outside the arena, you know what I mean? It's big enough to house all the cars that are going to it. Wow. So that trip from the car to the front of the arena might have been just as uh, much of the fun as, as the actual show. <laughs> just uh, all the people and like just you know this little kid from you know, Owatonna. Yeah big eyes and there's like oh my god that guy's slamming beer and well you know just all this crazy shit now uh, yeah, of course you know skanks fucking everywhere i'd probably had a boner the entire time you know this is <laughs> <laughs> the heavy metal parking lot man exactly well, that yeah kiss- that movie is pretty much the, exactly the yeah. reference of that but i remember that kiss concert i was at i was eight years old and as soon as the band started playing i'm like Here's that smell. I'm like, it smells like, <laughs> it smells like Uncle Paul's house. Like, <laughs> is he here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you, LC? What's your first concert memory? Sure, Wax and mine was Motley Crue as well. Uh, 15 years old, Doctor Feelgood tour. I think 1990, Market Square Arena in Indianapolis. And a uh, couple memories on this was that. Uh, kind of like what Baco said too, as, as far as it was exactly as as I had foreseen. This is what I wanted to see. This is what I saw in the Wild Side videos, you know, like a, yeah, yeah. a year or two below, um, uh, prior. And uh, but what I distinctly remember about this concert, and I don't think I've talked about this on the show, was I had uh, uh, went there with with two two of my buddies, and I was in the backseat of this this car that that was really had like zero shocks, and this is important because of the fact that I didn't know what I had at the time, but I had my first case of blue balls from my girlfriend that, this this morning. So the entire time was was on the way there, and I was in pay I was in paying the entire concert, but the the concert was 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 relief to this. All pain went out the window when I saw, you know, the hot nurses on stage and, awesome. and uh, saw Tommy Lee pretend to play piano and walk away. And the, the piano was still playing during uh, Home Sweet Home. But uh, quite quite an experience. But uh, had everything you would want for a 15-year-old boy. That's a real thing, eh, Blue Balls? That's a, that's a fucking real thing. Uh, the, the, the first, <laughs> you wouldn't know. You, 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 never, you never have those. You, 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 you get to the finish line every time. I never, I've I never heard. Know so I've heard. So I've heard, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you like that, the legacy that's... we've built for you, Lee? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to talk about a Pickering snowshoe uh, Yeah, later. Well, I forgot. Say, yeah, like, the, like... the founder, the inventor of the Pickering snowshoe. <laughs> since, we're, since we're talking about balls and dicks, what... Um, do you like? Did you like our apology? How we apologized, but not apologize to you a couple episodes back? Yeah, it was very appropriate. It's what I expected. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, the uh, big dick booger picker, I think, was the final final uh, apology. Yeah, it's like a compliment and an insult at the same time, right? Standard. Well, anyway, enough about my blue balls. We can move on to the next the next uh, subject at hand. So we want to talk about like a, I guess like a middle concert experience. Uh, we were talking about Ozzy and you know, speaking of pandemics and virus in Toronto in summer 2003, we had like a SARS epidemic. I don't know if you remember that. So 
for summer 2003, we had like every artist was canceling their shows in Toronto, right? They were all on tour. They all had Toronto shows booked, but inevitably every band canceled except for a few, right? I remember Poison came and Poison fucking rocked the house. And, uh, you know, that was great. And another guy that came was Ozzy. Ozzy came uh, June 2003 to the Air Canada Centre and he was doing a cross Canada tour and the whole thing was like this SARS thing and everybody's canceling and everybody's expecting Ozzy to cancel and Ozzy went on on uh, on press and he said I'm not fucking canceling my my Canadian fans need me right so he did this whole tour across Canada uh, with Voivod opening up right and Jason Newstead was playing in Voivod mm. at the time and he was also playing with Ozzy so he was doing double duty every show right so Ozzy came to Toronto in the the heart and the the heat uh, of, of SARS, and he played, get this, a three-hour show, right? Ozzy, wow. when was uh, Ozzy has never played a three-hour show except for that night in Toronto during SARS. Ozzy played three fucking hours, and it was incredible. He came out, he did an hour of solo stuff, he did an hour of Black Sabbath in the middle, and then he did another hour of solo stuff, and <laughs> it was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. So that one always sticks in, in my uh, memory of how great Ozzy was that night, right? This is the era where Ozzy had, like, like uh, dreads in his hair. He had, like, those red dreads and everything, right? So he was looking badass, and Jason Newstead was on bass. It was great, you know? It had Mike Borden from Faith No More on drums, and Zach, of course. So uh, that was an incredible show. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Nice. I think the first OzFest is where I want to go um, that I went to. Because I really hadn't done a festival thing since Monsters of Rock with Van Halen, and that wasn't really your typical festival kind of setting, at least, you know, not what I would have started experiencing where it's kind of an all-day, almost a weekend where you camp and do all that stuff. Because I, I didn't go to the first year of OzFest because I'm like, well, I only like, like, one band. I kind of went loose cannon on it. You know, like, I don't think I can see all this stuff, but... Uh, the uh, I was I ended up going because to the second year because some friends of mine were like you just got to go with this is what we do and stuff and I'm like well you know that sounds like fun so just that whole kind of like you you party all night you get up you kind of stagger into the uh, the thing around one o'clock uh, the the venue or whatever it is this is uh, ours is this outdoor amphitheater in, in Somerset but uh, and yeah you just you end up drinking all day and you see you know thirty bands. And and you like some, you don't like some, but it was just the, the environment was in what I really got into. And so I ended up going pretty much every year after that. I really enjoy festivals with the exception of of uh, probably the Warp Tour, but that's because locally where they put it, it's basically just slammed into a parking lot outside of a, a horse racing track. And it's just blistery yeah. hot. And, you know, and it's always on a Sunday, you know, but they, they that was back when it was still going. But I, I just like the, the, the one to two day thing. I, more than two, I, I don't, I'm not interested anymore, but uh, younger me, maybe you've been able to plow through it. But I, just the environment and seeing like all these like-minded people come together and everybody's having a good time and you know people get a little rowdy. But you, know, you typically don't see too much you know, problems with that. But uh, to me, that really elevated the concert experience to you know, a point that I don't think I was really familiar with prior. I'm just going to kind of echo what, what Baca was talking about. For like the, the thing that I miss the most, like you said, that when nobody's going to concerts, is that whole uh, community feeling of, you know, I've been to every, you know, it doesn't matter what, what the hardest, like thrashiest show was, however you want to classify that. I have seen worse behavior at Dave Matthews concerts I've been dragged to mm. um, as far as that. But when you go to a, like a metal show, um, or hard rock and just in general, I think people are just actually listening to the music <laughs> versus being, versus being there. Like, uh, like I've seen terrible things like a Jimmy Buffett concert and, and stuff like that, but oh, it's yeah. something about that, that 
sense of you're all in this together. You're, you know, there's 15,000 people with you or a thousand at a club, or whatever. And everybody's there for the exact same, same purpose. And that, that is a, a, something that it's hard to right now where it's like, I've seen so many shows, not like on my calendar that were, that were, mm-hmm. I was to go to, which I'm sure you have too. There's little alerts that show up on your, on your phone and be like, that's what I was supposed to be doing today. <laughs> you know, you know, is I, that part of part of it that you missed too, Lee or Baco? Well, can I can I uh, uh, circle back a little bit to something you were saying there? To your yeah. point, um, like the they built a new football stadium here called U.S. Bank a few years ago, and to kind of give it the, the first test runs were two concerts back to back nights, Friday and Saturday. Friday was Luke Bryan, a country artist, and right. Saturday was Metallica. Now the uh, the Social media reviews coming out of Luke Bryan was not enough bathrooms. They ran out of beer. Uh, all this didn't even fucking talk about the show. All these complaints about the new stadium. And then the Metallica kind of social media vibe was they kicked ass. It's like, yeah. So with, with there's certain, you know, like you talk about, you know, metal fans, they actually want to see the music yeah. and see the band. And I, I'm, I'm generalizing, but the fact of the matter is there was probably a much different ratio of woohoo girls pre-gaming three hours before a Luke Bryan show versus a Metallica show. So, yeah, you know, if, if getting just blackout drunk on, and paying $12 for 15 beers is a priority, it's probably going to let you down when they run out of beer and the bathroom's packed. Just in general, the whole vibe of, of going to our hard rock show is always, oh, it's dangerous, where there's more mm-hmm. danger of getting uh, 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 date-raped at a Dave Matthews concert yeah. than there is. Remember there was that thing like five, ten years ago? There was always, there was always be a news article like every three or four weeks about some bro country some bro country concert where uh, some girl got raped and there was fights and all this <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. So parents out there. Take your kids to a black metal concert, or whatever, <laughs> or whatever you call that, death metal, I should say, or whatever it is. They're going to be totally safe, good to go. Everybody's really shy there. <laughs> yeah, there is more of a chill vibe in the audience when they're just walking around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally, there yeah. is. They're just everybody's just kind of cool and mellow, and I don't yeah. know. There's this milf that walks her dog like every day. I've been noticing <laughs> since, since this COVID thing, and she just she's just walking by my window right now, right? She's got. Uh, you need a minute. Jeans, jean shorts, <laughs> a white tank top, and like a little fluffy dog. Eh? Yeah, lock that in, hey. buddy. She's got like a like a Jennifer Aniston kind of vibe going on. Here. She uh, anyway. Sorry. She, she, you you shore the Pickering snowshoe. I thought that, you're, I thought this, that was a, a concert memory there for a second. I didn't know it was out your window. <laughs> it's all we got now, man. Uh, yeah. So I guess for my last concert I saw was almost a year ago. I saw and it was. You know, if this was the last concert I ever, you know, went to, I would probably be fine with this. I saw the Stray Cats last August, mm. uh, and this was their 40th anniversary tour. My favorite band hadn't seen them since uh, 1992, and this was this was a great road trip, right? This was I was down for the Nashville Rock and Pod, right? Then I went to Memphis to record my single, and on the way back, I saw the Stray Cats in uh, Vienna, West Virginia. They played like an amphitheater there, and that was a that was a killer show. So uh, you know, just a great end to that rock and roll road trip, and uh, you know, a killer concert by my favorite band. So that that was the last one. Yeah, so that was like August 2019 was the last concert show I've I went to. Uh, King King Diamond was the last show I saw. Um, when was that? Oh, last November, and it was also the first time I ever saw him. Uh, did not disappoint. Huge uh, nice. uh, production, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like three tier 
uh, stage, you know, kind of told a story, and uh, he sounded amazing, assuming it was all live, but the yeah. band was tight as hell, um, and it was in kind of a newer venue that had some sound issues that they were still dialing in, and they, and they seemed to have things figured out for that show. Um, but uh, it, it, great spectacle, you know. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a great King Diamond mind. I can't go deep on uh, track listing for him, but I really enjoy kind of the uniqueness of what he does, probably more than his actual product. But yeah. that is definitely one I'd like to see too. This picture looked awesome. Um, but yeah, my my uh, final show was end of February. It was the Glorious Sons, fellow Canadians. Um, and yeah, I, I, I know I, but at the time you didn't know that was, that was literally like the next week, I think was when everything shut down. So, so, but, but, but a great show as always. So cool. Cool. Who knows when the next one will be, right? Exactly. I had nothing, nothing scheduled. Did you guys have tickets that were canceled or anything like that? Rammstein, uh, but they just postponed it a year. Does that mean they refunded you or not? No. I mean, I, I think... Ticketmaster kind of dialed back what they were saying on that whole thing. I, I think there's a process that takes a lot of time and a lot of work. These weren't terribly expensive tickets with pretty good seats, so I don't really need the money, and we're just going to sit on them. So, planning on next year. Yeah, I just, I just. But if I wanted, it, I could, I could resell them on the Ticketmaster resale site, which they would take Ooh. another cut out of. Yeah, so sure, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah shady, but um, but yeah, the, the whole thing about shutdowns it just makes you appreciate live music so yeah. much more like uh like the, my last concert should have been um soul asylum and local h which i was you know i'm in between fans of but i was like you know uh, now i really 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 wish i would have seen it because that was you know that's it i'm just saying like yeah ones you're even in between i'll go see now <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean you just want to have that like concerts are the greatest right like it's so much f- like when there's moments when you're in an audience that's connecting with the band, and the band's connecting with the audience, and the music is amazing. That, that's the that's a beautiful thing, right? Like I'm waiting on a Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band tour. There was rumors that that was going to happen, but uh, who knows now, right? And those guys yeah. are like 70 years old, right? So, <laughs> right, right? Same with the Stones. The Stones canceled their tour there this summer. They were they're in their mid 70s, right? So. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I'm so gracious for all the, the concert memories I have. The way I've been to like three, four hundred concerts. Like I actually put together a spreadsheet about ten years ago, and I, with all my ticket stubs and my memory and doing research and trying to remember every show and the, every detail of every concert I've seen. Right, so it's uh, you know so many great uh, bands and memories. Now with that, another thing that that probably is a big big deal in Canada with this shutdown is that. Hockey night in Canada on Friday nights. Uh, has there been an uptick in like dogs getting kicked or spousal abuse because they can't watch <laughs> hockey on Fridays? Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Oh, Saturday. I'm sorry. Uh, Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday's hockey night in Canada. That's a big deal there, right? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not a sports guy, but I, you know, I like to listen to music, like have a beer, smoke a joint, and I like to have sports on in the background. Okay. Right? So, so I'm listening to a record, but I got like the Blue Jays game on just so I can look at something, right? So, in the absence of sports, they've been showing all these old games. Right, so I've still had kind of hockey okay. on in the background and baseball on. I just because I just don't really pay attention, right? So <laughs> that's how I watch baseball, hockey, and basketball for the most part. Is like when I'm home alone because Amy doesn't like sports. Period. The only thing I yeah. I force her to to if you're going to be around, the football will be on. But um, I do like to kind of watch sports and crank music too. I think it's kind of fun. 
I don't I, I don't get high, so uh, I, I, maybe when edibles become popular in Minnesota. Anyway, well, Lee, you've been a fabulous guest. It's uh yeah, thanks, fellas. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the support, and uh, yeah, I can see you guys, friends, and uh, gonna miss you this year in Nashville, but. Yeah. Uh, Hoping for 2021, you know? Yeah, you're the real deal, man. Uh, remind everybody again how they can uh, find you on the internet and the webs and your music, your podcast, all that sure. good stuff. Yeah, you can check out my podcast, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Tramps Like Us. That's at the website, TrampsLikeUsPod.com, and it's at all the other uh, podcast platforms. And my song, Train to Heartbreak by Lee McCormick. Please have a listen to that. It's on YouTube. Great video there. If you want to check out the vinyl, you can get all those details at moonviolet.com. Thanks a lot. Very cool. Was it expensive to press? Uh, a couple of thousand adults, couple thousand dollars, you know. <laughs> and like I, you know, I had to put the artwork together and all that stuff. So the artwork's I don't know. great, by the way. I, I at first I had to take a better look at it, but yeah, that was a good question, Luce. What was it? You wanted to know what the minimum pressing quantity was? Yeah, because I was I was just surprised. I remember the the actual uh, art on um, you know when you go to iTunes or Spotify is the seven inch single. So I was like, yeah. is that just a graphic or did he actually do it? No, that's the sleeve. The sleeve, I made it look like that, right? And then when you pull the actual vinyl record, that's the label on it. And then the back of the sleeve has a photo and credits straight on it and things like that. So, yeah, it turned out really well. I'm very happy. It looks really uh, it looks really great. I'm really uh, very pleased with this release. So, yeah, I hope people will check it out. But what's, like, the minimum you have to do? Uh, the minimum run of vinyl, I think every place is different, right? I think this place was a hundred. I did a, I did a few hundred. I did a few hundred copies of the vinyl, right? As, as you get more, the the prices go down, right? right? So, but it was it was affordable, you know, a few thousand dollars for a couple hundred records, and well, I, I just can you convince my wife of that? I I, I know you have a, a way with the ladies, so maybe you can convince her that a few <laughs> few thousand bucks to uh, do a vinyl JC record would be worth it. Yeah, man. Do it. Go pick your uh, legendary studio, record it, and put it on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Lee. This has been fun, guys. Uh, make sure for everybody listening that you go check out moonviolet.com to find out everything about Lee's music. And, of course, the Tramps Like Us podcast can be found pretty much just by Googling Tramps Like Us podcast. Uh, but let's get out of here. What do you say, Luce? Oh, yeah. Thanks for coming, Lee. Thanks, man. Rock is not dead. It's live in my house. In the great white north, eh? I know I have to go Got no door Should I stay Or should I go Gotta get away Don't wanna stay Leaving tomorrow by some way Trying to get away, to get away, to leave this old 
Well, I think it's let's, let's, you kick in there then. Yeah, throw it to me then, please. Loose. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Huh? That was that for a setup, huh? Well, I like it. Perfect. See it? This is what happens after 250 episodes, Lee. You get this shit down, right? Because it pros, man. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 